Wolves were decimating the farmer's sheep. So badly that in desperation, the authorities in that county raised the bounty on the wolves to $25,000 each. $25,000 each. So two brothers decided they could really use that money, and so they headed out to the wide open spaces to shoot some wolves and capitalize on this fantastic financial opportunity. They had just fallen asleep out under the stars when a growling kind of noise woke one of them up. He looked around, and in the reflection of the dimming campfire, he saw the yellow eyes of 25 wolves shining back at him, 25 rows of razor-sharp teeth gleaming in the light, every single one of them growling menacingly and walking slowly, step by step, one step at a time, toward the two brothers totally surrounding them, getting closer and closer and closer. He looked around at, really, this terrifying nightmare that was about to befall them, all alone, out in the wilderness. And so he shook his brother awake and whispered hoarsely, Wake up! Wake up! We're rich! (laughs) Okay, I love that story because it reminds me of one of the most important lessons I have learned in my 37 years as a rabbi, which is attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. Hard as you try to control your life, to make the best decisions you can, to be the best person you can be, the reality is that life seems to have a mind of its own. And most of the time, you can't really choose the circumstances of your life. Things just happen. Good things, bad things, no one makes it through life without pain and loss, sorrow and disappointment. And most of the time, we really don't even get a vote. Life just happens. But the one truth that I have learned over and over again from my own life, because like all of us, I have to learn it over and over again, is that it isn't really the ups and downs or the traumas or successes, it isn't really the circumstances of our lives at all that really matter. There is one thing that every one of us does bring to each of these moments in our lives, and that is our own attitude. It's our attitude that always matters most. It's like the little boy who kept bragging to his father that he really wanted to play baseball because he just knew he was going to be a great hitter. Kept nagging and nagging, Dad, I want to play baseball, Dad, I want to play baseball. So finally his dad said, okay, so show me. So the kid got out a softball and his bat, and they went out to the backyard. The father stood to the side, while the boy tossed up the ball into the air and then swung with all his might. Strike one, said his father, as the boy, you know, missed the ball completely and it dropped to the ground. Little fellow didn't care. He tossed the ball up in the air and swung again with all of his might. Strike two, said the father a bit more quietly as his son completely missed the ball again. Undeterred, the young man smiled broadly. Don't worry, tossed the ball up in the air. And for the third time, this time, he swung even faster and even harder. Boom. Strike three, said his father sadly. Little boy looked up at his dad and totally unfazed, huge grin over his face, and he proudly said, Boy, 
am I a great pitcher? That's my kind of boy. That's my kind of attitude. That's the person I want to work with. That's the person I want to live with. Actually, that is the person I do live with. That's the person who can always see the possibilities in every challenge. You know that each one of our eyes has both a light part and a, and a dark part. But we actually only see the world by looking right through the dark part into the light that's all around us. As you know, this is my last high holy day season as your senior rabbi. And as most of you know, I'm retiring from that position as of this coming June. And the wonderful, articulate, and brilliant, and talented Rabbi Amy Bernstein will become the new senior rabbi and spiritual leader of KI as I become emeritus. Exactly what emeritus means we will all discover together through the coming years. And I reminded Rabbi Bernstein that when I first came and joined Cantor Frankel 28 years ago, I had all these people saying, it's a new rabbi, I'm leaving. Because, you know, change is tough, and not to worry about it. People stick around, and then they discover how wonderful you are eventually. Or good enough, anyway. <laughs> of course, I actually know that some of you think I already retired, because I kept getting these notes from people going, so what are you doing now? <laughs> now I'm still here, by the way, at least until June, because there's lots to do including continuing to do what we all have to do, which is, you know, help raise money to make sure the congregation continues to be strong into the future. And in fact, I recently, with the help of our wonderful president, signed what amounts to a lifetime contract with KI to continue to serve the congregation in a variety of meaningful ways in my capacity as emeritus rabbi for the rest of my life. So I will still have an office at KI and still be part of the life of the community going forward. And in fact, Didi and I recently moved to a new home that's only like less than three blocks away from the synagogue. So I'm really not going anywhere and you're basically stuck with us forever anyway. But, you know, change is... Thank you, that's okay. Change, change is real. And transitions are challenging for everybody, always. So naturally, I've been looking back on these last 28 years and literally the 37 years since I was first ordained a rabbi in New York back in 1976. And in looking back at all these years as a rabbi, I've been thinking about the thousands, literally thousands and thousands of people that I've met, uh, so many of you who have let me into the most sensitive and powerful moments of your lives, the thousands of wedding couples I've joined and bar and bat mitzvah boys and girls I've taught, and the hundreds of men and women whom I've had the privilege of converting and welcoming into the Jewish family, the tragedies of young and old that I have buried, and Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, holiday services I've officiated, babies I've named, individuals uh, who have shared their, their tragedies and fears, their laughter and their tears in the quiet privacy of my study. And so in looking back, I thought, for the next few moments, I would quickly share with you the six most important lessons that I have learned throughout all these years as a rabbi. You already heard the first one. Attitude is everything. That's why it's always true that the happiest people don't necessarily have the best of everything. They just make the best of everything. Like a longtime congregant, Bob Schiller, who happens to be sitting right over here, our 
I think, 95-year-old comedy writer of I Love Lucy and Maud and All in the Family and so much more. If you know Bob, every time you ask Bob, how you doing, he always answers, perfect, but improving. <laughs> I didn't ask permission, I hope you don't mind. But that's an attitude. That's an attitude. And as I started writing this sermon, I began to realize what a truly difficult task this was going to be. It's hard enough just to explain to someone exactly what a rabbi is and what a rabbi does, let alone what an emeritus rabbi might be. It actually reminds me of one of my favorite rabbi moments long ago that you may remember when I asked one of our religious school classes what the definition of a rabbi is, and some small child answered, a rabbi is someone who talks to God through a microphone. <laughs> and I remember how difficult, frankly, it was to explain to Gable when she was little what I did all day long as a rabbi even though she was you know, two and a half when we first met and four when I became her Abba and has basically grown up as a rabbi's daughter virtually her entire life. Some say poor kid, but I once heard Lee Iacocca, the you know, renowned former president of Chrysler, talk about his own daughter when she was little. He said, once when I was vice president of Ford, Leah was asked in kindergarten what her father did and she answered, I'm not sure, I think he washes cars. Well, in Gable's case, she used to turn to me in the morning as I was leaving for the synagogue and ask, Abba, where are you going? To a wedding, a meeting, or a funeral? <laughs> okay, I admit that's kind of a weird way for a kid to grow up, but, but it always reminded me of a second important lesson that I've learned as a rabbi, that most of the time, the most important thing you can do in life is simply showing up. I think it's uh, Woody Allen who gets credited with the famous line that 90% of success is showing up, but no matter who said it, it's still one of the wisest statements ever said. Family experiences the tragedy of a death, whether a parent, a sibling, or God forbid, a child, as so many of our own families face year in and year out. And people all around them will, will turn to us and ask, what can I do? What can I say? I feel so inadequate to comfort them or to help in any meaningful way at a time like this. And frankly, our answer is always the same. The most precious gift you can give to those who are bereft or lost in their sorrow is just showing up. Your presence literally is the present. There's a 10th century rabbinic work called Tana Debe Eliyahu. And in that, God gives advice to all humanity and simply says, my children, what do I seek from you? No more than that you love one another and honor one another. <coughs> you show your love. You show your kavod, your respect, your honor for those you love by simply being there. That is the best you can do, and the best you can do really is enough. Since I sent the announcement to the congregation a few months ago about my impending retirement, I've been amazed and really humbled by letters and really sweet notes that people have sent recalling rabbi moments from the past with which they shared with me and for which they are grateful. Now, some of you know that I spent a lot of time in school, and I have a lot of degrees. I have two BAs and two master's degrees and a PhD and a couple of Doctor of Divinity degrees, and Dee Dee assured me she would still have married me if I only had one doctorate, but it's true that all those degrees took a lot of time, a lot of years of my life, and there are times when I've been very proud to have all that 
stuff on my wall. But degrees or not, all the knowledge and education in the world didn't teach me what ultimately matters most when it comes to being important to someone, whether as a father or as a husband or as a rabbi or as a friend. Frankly, no one has ever written me a letter thanking me for having so many degrees. The letters that matter, that that showed me what made a difference in the lives of others, came like these three short ones, all of us, Rabbi Bernstein, Cantor Frankel, and I, and I suspect any other clergy person, rabbi, or cantor in the world have all received letters exactly like these, simple, powerful, telling us what really matters. Thank you for your love and caring for, and for all the times you showed up when I needed you. I will never, ever forget how wonderful I felt when you and Chaim showed up in my hospital room after my mastectomy 20 years ago. I barely knew you guys, and there you were for me. That time in the hospital is mostly a haze with you guys clearly emerging out of it. Or from the moment we walked into your office over 14 years ago, we could not have asked for a clergy member more caring or sensitive in good times and not so good times. You have always been there for us. Well, you you get the point. So far, not one letter of thanks has come in grateful for my education. So the third lesson for me is that people don't care how much you know if they know how much you care. They don't care how much you know as long as they know how much you care. And what I've learned from my 37 years as a rabbi is that being smart or knowing a lot about a lot of things doesn't really ever matter as much as simply being a mensch. If you want to make a difference in other people's lives, and yes, ultimately, I realized that was the reason I became a rabbi in the first place, To make a difference in other people's lives, first be a mensch and then the rest will follow. And the fourth lesson I learned is reflected in a medieval midrash called Ecclesiastes Rabbah, which teaches a man cannot say to the angel of death, I'm not ready yet. Wait till I make up all my accounts. Wait till I make up all my accounts. It's Talmudic language. There's a story that I shared some 23 years ago in a sermon when I announced that for, oh, I know I wasn't supposed to say this, when I announced that for Gable's 10th birthday, Didi and I had bought burial plots at Hillside for us. I know that's some present for a 10-year-old. But death doesn't wait to take care of our accounts. It just happens. And preparing for it with our family is one of the greatest gifts you can ever give. So I'll encourage you all again, 23 years later, if you still haven't done it, Go out and do it now. It's a great gift. And I remember talking about officiating at a funeral of the wife of an elderly man who had been married for over 60 years. And after the funeral, the husband refused to leave the graveside. Tried to lead him away, and he wouldn't leave. He rooted on the spot, and he kept saying, You don't understand, Rabbi, I really love my wife. And I said, Of course you did. And I'm sure it's difficult to leave, but the service is over. People will be waiting for you at your own home. It's time to return. And he turned to me with those, those hollow eyes and said something I never forgot. He said, you don't understand. I love my wife. And once I almost told her. I almost told her. It was like chilling to hear that. As a husband, as a father, for any relationships in my life, it was a, 
a lesson I never forgot. Don't wait until there is time to say the things that matter because you never know when that time will suddenly be gone. Don't wait till someone's funeral, obviously, to tell them how much they mean or to share how much they matter or to say the words that you want to say or that they long to hear. The lesson is simply always do it now. Someone once wrote that if everyone in the world suddenly knew they only had five minutes to live, that every phone would be ablaze with the whole world calling each other to say, I love you. I once saw a Broomhilda cartoon, I don't even know if they still exist, where she just lived through one of those miserable days, everything went wrong, and you see her standing by the window, looking out the next morning, and with great frustration shouting, I demand a replay of yesterday! But we never get a replay of yesterday, or of any day. We only get this day. And this day, right here, right now, is all we need to make our lives matter. To say what needs to be said, or do what needs to be done. That's what a vibrant, fulfilled life is really all about. It's living each day as fully as we can. It's embracing every day as if it is the only day. Because indeed, it really is the only day we ever get. There's so much more that I've learned throughout these 37 years. There's so many lessons that really all of you, both young and old, have taught me nearly every single day. Not the least of which is a lesson also taught in the Talmud. The name of a rabbi named Ben Zoma. He's quoted in the Talmud as saying the following in Hebrew, it even rhymes, Ezehu chacham halomed mikol adam. It means, who is wise, one who learns from everyone. Ben Zoma reminds us of the importance, frankly, of humility. Never thinking that you know it all, that you're above learning something of value from someone who was younger or someone who was older or who speaks another language or whose skin is a different color or even who appears to be your enemy. No matter how smart I might be, no matter how much I might know about a variety of things, everyone knows more about something than I do. Didi used to tell me every single year, she was participating in teaching the 10th grade confirmation classes at KI that she was sure she learned more from the kids than they ever learned from her. And believe me, they always loved having Didi teach. Because every time I would come after her, they'd go, where's Didi? <laughs> it's great for my ego, but it was a good lesson in humility anyway. And frankly, the only way any of us continue to learn and grow throughout our lives is by cultivating and embracing humility. The Talmud teaches that the arrogant can never learn. The best students of any age are always those who are humble enough to say, I know that I don't know. It's like that famous story of the rabbi who wrote a brilliant sermon on humility, but then he never preached it because he was holding on until a really big occasion came up when he could impress the largest number of people at how smart he was. So I constantly remind myself that no matter how many people are in the room, there's probably someone who is smarter than me. Oops, smarter than I. So let me leave you with one final lesson that has touched me as a rabbi time and again. I know I've shared this story with you before, but I love it so much that I just can't help telling it again. It's that story of when I was walking down the aisle shopping at Gelson's one day, and I noticed that the only other person in the same aisle walking my way with his head down and not making eye contact with anyone, and of course wearing a baseball hat, was one of my favorite actors of all time, Dustin Hoffman. 
You may remember this. He kept getting closer and closer to me, and as he did, I heard some whispered conversation behind me with what obviously was a mother and her daughter. And the mother was saying to the young girl, that's okay, you can say something to him. Go ahead, honey, don't be shy. He, he won't mind being recognized. Go on, it'll probably make him smile. So I watched in anticipation as Dustin Hoffman had almost caught up with where I was. And just as he got to me, this little girl stepped in front with her arms up in the air and said, Rabbi Reuben. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman just kept walking on by. <laughs> Rabbi Reuben. I mean, come on. What could be more precious than that? I learned at, at that moment, really, what success as a rabbi was all about. It has nothing to do with how large your congregation might be, or how beautiful your synagogue building might be, or how much money or benefits you have in your contract, or, or how many books or articles you have published, or how often you might be quoted in the Jewish Journal or the LA Times. Success is a little girl, bless you, Success is a little girl holding up her hands and saying with delight, Rabbi Reuben. I can hardly think of any sound sweeter, of any validation of the gift and privilege it is to be a rabbi than that. Success is measured in the realization that you just never know. You never know what words you might have said or what smile of comfort or support you might have given what music you may have written, what, what gesture or embrace you might have shared that, that ultimately meant all the difference in the world to someone. And the miracle is that someone will cherish that moment forever. That's really the true measure of success. Being a rabbi is simply to remember that story of the young man who felt overcome by a sense of despair when he thought of all the injustice and pain and cruelty in the world, which any of us can feel any day. And so he decided he would show up just one more time at a Yom Kippur service. And he sat in the sanctuary, as all of you are doing right now, and he prayed, creative power of the universe, where are you? How can you allow all this injustice and pain and cruelty and do nothing? Dear God, how can you sit by and watch this world and do nothing? And then, of course, he, he heard that cold mama daka, that quiet inner voice of the sacred whispering in his heart, I didn't do nothing. I made you. I made you. Each of us. Every day. The opportunity to make a difference by what we say and what we do and by who we are. So thank you again for the privilege of being your rabbi.